Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along. It is just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. So that means it's midweek motorsport. And on a... Oh no, hang on. It's Series 16, Episode 43. As you can hear, I'm in slightly better form um, voice-wise than I was at this time last week. But it's taken me till about now to throw it off. It got worse before it got better. Uh, 1-1-2-1 in the uh, two games uh, that were on earlier. Uh, Quite a lot of them haven't kicked off yet. Um, But uh, there's bound to be something in League One that's happening. Oh, no, it hasn't. Uh, So we'll keep across those as we go on. Up in London is uh, is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And uh, Uh, I've just remembered that what I was going to do an hour ago was uh, come on air and uh, berate all the Americans for being early. Yep. Should have. Should have. Uh, it's only this week, though. I've enjoyed listening to uh, Rob Smedley talking to Joe Bradley. Can't tell them apart, you know. You never see them in the same room at the same time. Yeah, but um, they do look very different. Sound the same, though, don't they? Rob is a lot younger. <laughs> Everybody's a lot younger than Joe. On the subject um, of apart from you, you're a year above him at school, weren't you? No, the way around. Uh, as you well know. Age plays a big part in uh, tonight's show because we have four guests and one of them uh, is older than the combined age of the other three together. Excellent. Very good. I like that. Um, and let's not even talk about the presentation team. Um, that could be uh, very embarrassing. Uh, and so... Uh, we have, as promised, the Pascal Vassalon interview. Spoke to Pascal last Thursday as they were prepping for the Bahrain six hours, as it was, uh, last weekend. And it's all about Le Mans tonight uh, and about how close Toyota came to losing Le Mans. And the story behind it is worth a listen. That's our big interview just after nine o'clock tonight. Uh, and... Uh, as I say, if you, even if you've seen a little bit, you can hear it in, uh, you can hear it in Pascal's own words. Uh, uh, it's and it's astounding. It's an astounding, proper proper endurance story with Pascal Vassalon of Toyota Gazoo Racing at Specutainment. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, and many of you have already, uh, Jake Parrott is throwing us some apologies for absence from Chicago. Chill in the air. Uh, not the impending Super Duper Championship weekend of WEC in NASCAR. Um, it has my customers wanting to taste old Madeira all of a sudden. Looking forward to the pod on the flight home 
tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll have the uh, archive up for you uh, there, Jake. Thank you for supporting us as over a hundred thousand of you every week are in terms of uh, listening in and then downloading as well. It's going to be another record year. Uh, Steen Raceboy says, um, do you have an under embargo news reveal? Not as far as I'm aware. We tend not to do that because, you know, there's an embargo on things for a reason. So if we've been told not to say something, then we tend not to, to be honest. Brody, no AFAs. Having heard Mozart's musical joke today, it reminds me the... Uh, show of the year of the show of the year must be looming not too far away. Vote and five vote weeks often. away, John. Five weeks away. Excellent. Oh, and before and, that, uh, we've got Eve's Christmas presents as well. Eve Christmas presents. We've got That's, some... Uh, uh, the week after next, I think. Uh, we've got some season reviews as well that. to come. Uh, right Turn Lover says, will you be poking into who'll succeed cars? Uh, AFA is following a somewhat stressful day, chilling out with my favourite person. Uh, Best wishes to your favourite person as well, RTL. Hello to Kevin Payne. Uh, no EFAs listening tonight. Get ready for the eight hours of Bahrain uh, to see if the teams are going to be a bit more aggressive after a fairly tame six hours. Chris Suku, first EFAs for about 20 months in Torino for work. Might catch the end of the show if back from dinner. Ciao. Ciao. Um, yeah, well, we need, that must be shush work, that, Chris. EFA today, internet doesn't work well at work. I've been listening to all the build-up to the 2015 Le Mans in the archive, says Brian Cabana, catching up on the archive tomorrow. Uh, Stiggy Marley, uh, just got to figure out how to finish these Wednesday afternoon meetings before midweek motorsport. The goal is no EFAs for November. Sorry, had to sneeze there for a moment. Uh, morning all, Jack is in the future, Jack Martin. First time checking in for a while, tuning in live for Mike Sargent. Hello, Collective. Hello, Mike. Uh, hello to Otter FR, whose uh, apologies for absence after spending the afternoon cleaning and repairing the owl's nest. Woohoo! Very much looking forward to the podcast and the eight hours of Bahrain Strain. Trying to process the news that Nikita Mazepin thinks he might get a better offer, uh, an offer from a better team. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jack Martin did realise he was an hour early. Um, to the show but he's in with us now no airfares for Martin Webster tonight on his way down to Aylesford for work and listening in uh, hello to Alexander Orkin airfares tonight Freya home from university for a few days oh well have to have a complete family evening catching up on the archive there Duke Amner no airfares listening live with chocolate chip cookies still no wine gums is, is there an international wine gum shortage Doug uh, be very interested to know what uh, the Gearbox Girl thinks of the Netflix Bad Sport episode about Randy Linnea. Ah, very good. No EFAs, but there's agriculture happening near Thermal, says Carol Brink. Hello, Carol and Kevin. Dave Alcock, uh, looking forward to joining us. Might miss the first few minutes of the show. Using midweek motorsport as a great excuse to text, test out the new mixer. Fairly sure the neighbours won't mind, says Mark Jackson. Oh, yeah, that looks nice. And uh, I like the amplifier as well. Oh, no, all nice pelly cases and boxed up as well. Very good. We like that. Like that a lot. Uh, Ted the Toyman, listening live. Thanks to the time zones allowing. Uh, no update on the move to 10 minutes from the bend. Have land at Bellevue Heights for sale to fund hands build. So if anybody interested in land within walking distance of Flinders University, let me know. Uh, coming like 
swap shop on here, isn't it? Uh, James O'Donnell, looking forward to the show and the big interview with Pascal Vassalon. It is worth it. Simon Hoff, who's uh, had a hectic six weeks, all caught up with race action. So best back to a live listener at last. Pat McDron's listening. Uh, and uh, who else? Uh, no, I think everybody's in. Oh, and Jesse. Jesse as well. So Southern California. Southern Sunny California taking a break for the next couple of hours. Uh, hello to Nick, to Serafina, uh, and to Sarah Rigby, who is tuned in with Martin. Another pack show? You better believe it, Sarah. And here's the top story. Shuffle the papers, well, Tim. Before we do that, I've just been looking at where Flinders University is, and I was hoping it was near Flinders Street Station, but it's not. It's hundreds of miles away in a different state. So, oh, uh, there you go. Not sure anyone Not helpful, to be, then. no. Suburbs of Adelaide. Well, you did see he was moving. Yeah. Uh, shuffle your papers, play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're going to start with an announcement, John. Yep. From uh, who? From me. All right. Oh, Tim, uh, hang on, stop. I feel we need some kind of fanfare for Tim's big announcement. You should have said that when we were rehearsing, and I could have got one. Rehearsing? But I don't have one. You know we don't rehearse. Sure, <laughs> tell the listeners. Uh, Do you not think they've worked that out after 16 years, Tim? Really? We, we have to keep <laughs> pretending. <laughs> Illusion of broadcasting. Uh, Very funny. I'm going to uh, announce right now that uh, I'm going to retire from uh, top-class sports car racing at the end of this season. Cause, uh, you wait until the end of the season. It's, it's a fashionable thing to do. Apparently so. Does that give us a Does that give us a clue to for, for, from driving in top class yes, sports yes. car race? Yes. I'm, I'm not yeah, going to okay. stop watching it. No, no. Okay. Uh, or being involved in other ways, perhaps. Talking per about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, does that I, give I us a hint? I could take an ambassadorial what? role, couldn't I, John? You, you could. You could. Does that give us a hint to the top story, Tim? Uh, and the second story. Right. And <laughs> by the time we've got through those two, maybe a third one will come out. Right, I'm I'm watching the live feed even as we speak. Uh, so this is the news from Toyota Gazoo Racing that we're starting with, then, Tim? We are. Kazuki Nakajima, aged 36, is going to retire. I think when I get to 36, I'll retire as well. I think that's a reasonable idea. 36 what? Uh, ah. Inches? So now, that is the right Stone? question. Yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, Nick Damon is joining us. Hello, Nick. How are you tonight? I'm very well. Bonjour to le monde of the audience. Uh, very I good. That's probably no language in particular, but it sounded uh, I mean, it started quite off in my ears. as almost French and then fell. Yes. And then wasn't. Isn't, fell isn't audience French there. then? I, I think there's a job for Nick in uh, in, <laughs> in fisheries negotiation. Yes, uh, international Ka- politics. Yeah, Ka- Kaz Nakajima then, yes. is 36 years old. Yes. Um, all right, in motor racing terms, that's not in the first flush of youth, but we have Formula One drivers who are older than that. We have people who have been carving out a decent career competitively in sports cars well Beyond that, um, it, it, bit of a bit of a shock, or uh, it, is he jumping before he's pushed? What do, well, what do we know? Uh, well, we don't. We only know what Toyota are telling us, and don't forget, Toyota have been known not to tell us the truth. <laughs> Let's be honest about that. Um, I don't know. It sounds very odd that he will retire at thirty-six from racing when he's been by well, certainly much more reliable than other members of that squad. 
um, and still very quickly. He was the guy they gave the qualifying to at Le Mans. So they all think he's fast, he's reliable, he's Japanese, he's literally ticking every single box. So why would he retire so young and why would he take an ambassadorial role? But that's what they're saying is going to happen. So I can't, I can't doubt that, even though there will be many, many, many well-paid manufacturer jobs available who'd love someone like Kakazuki Nakajima on their team, he says under his breath loudly. Um, the uh, John DeGee Sports Car 365 um, been talking to the team and kindly fired us some bits of information. Uh, apparently, he's not, uh, from what has been said, he's not leaving Toyota. Um, he's just leaving his driving duties in the top line squad. But as, as you pointed out, um, there are going to be some teams, Ferrari, um, and manufacturers, Ferrari, in particular, who could benefit from someone who has LMH, the uh, experience, particularly latest LMH uh, experience that the cars has. Any, anybody in the uh, top flight, LMH or MDH, would uh, hurriedly clear a seat. Even Persia, the Gauss and contract, would hurriedly clear a you seat think? for the. Yes, absolutely. He's very, very quick. He's very, very safe. Knows what he's doing. He has more experience. Well, has, has as much experience as anybody else does it who's currently active in top flight sports car racing. So why wouldn't you go for him? Mm. Johannes Quagliga reminds us. Retired. I don't know. Uh, re- remember, uh, remember back to one certain N louder. Um, and Johannes Quagliga reminds us that he retired at aged 36. Nick. Uh, says Nick Holland says to retire from professional driving for some does not always prove to be too restrictive. No, um, but, but also uh, Nicky Lauda um, had an airline to run, had survived an incredibly dangerous crash, and was living racing in much more dangerous times. Mm. Now, uh, Kaz Nakajima's family though has history of, of of doing other things within motor racing, so managerial role, driver management, possibly setting oh, I, up a new team. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never really seen him you know i think it's i think that's one of the issues viewing from european eyes viewing japanese drivers we never really get to see what they're doing in their own country Mm. you know obviously kaz is one of the more westernized of the japanese drivers but you know um we don't know what he's doing whether he's working with satura or or other members because obviously he's very heavily ingrained in japanese uh, motor racing scene whether he may well be doing a lot of stuff just doesn't get reported because we know not because it's not happening yeah um you know if if you didn't look really carefully you wouldn't know that because you can sorry because kamui kabobayashi was doing a reasonably successful super formula season either you have to look at it don't you to find it Mm. so you know that's that's the issue there is still a kind of i mean obviously it's been made worse by the pandemic but yeah so we we don't really know what he's doing outside of 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 running toyotas i'm just very surprised but especially, as yeah, I would say it's, it's a time when there'll be more opportunities to do something else than ever before. Uh, we hear from Toyota that his replacement and his full uh, list of duties will be announced at their end of season uh, in December, which is fair enough because that's what most of the major manufacturers need to do. But it needs to be another Japanese, uh, another Japanese driver, doesn't it? I mean, that would follow yeah. form. You would certainly think so, yeah. And I think we were, both you and I in a previous conversation today were trying to rack our brains of the Japanese driver who got two days of testing earlier in the year and neither of us can remember who it was. <laughs> so hopefully someone on the collective can remember who got the two I'd days of testing. please. Um, because uh, they, they, it was one of the guys from, I can't even remember it was Super Formula or from uh, Super GT who got it, but yeah, there was, they, they were testing on a Japanese driver. Um, but yes, Has Kaz done, had, hasn't Kaz done some um, Super Formula this season? Do you know, he's point, done I two races know, this season, and yeah. he's uh, racing Super Formula for at least the last 
nine consecutive seasons, maybe more than that. He hasn't always been able to do a full season, though, no. has he? Um, the last... How long has he been in the Toyota LMP1 car? Four, uh, five... 127 years, yeah. Five years? So those yep. five years yeah. he hasn't done a full season. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, was it uh, Rio Hari- Harikawa? Harakawa, who did the test. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's Shea Adam you is offering this. that, and I think that's well. Shay's right. got, got a, a mind we wish we had, the mind of someone twenty-five years younger than us. Um, Harakawa <laughs> would be an interesting one because he's a Nissan Works driver at the moment. Yeah, but they have they have been known to swap around, haven't they? It's it's not not unheard of. Um, I know that it's relatively uh, unusual. Um, it's a bit like going from uh, Ford to Holden in uh, Australian racing. It's a bit frowned on, isn't it? Mm. Or, you know, well, going from Liverpool Honda to Everton. would be more frowned upon. Um, I wonder whether... Yes, it, good point. Um, Ritomo Miata might be in the frame. 2020 Actually, Formula Lights champion. Uh, previously was Japanese Formula 4 champion. I really can't remember, and it's annoying me now. I, I think it was, I think it was Harikawa who did the test. I'm pretty certain it was. Okay, um, just for um, completion's sake, and, and and to back up what uh, Tim's been saying, I've now managed to get on the Wikipedia page, and, he's, and actually called he's a uh, one Nippon twice, and uh, well, former Nippon, which became Super Formula, he's won the one that in twelve and thirteen, uh, twelve and fourteen, sorry, and was second in fifteen. And then he started doing work endurance and couldn't do four seasons. Uh, uh, we have to say um, he'll be missed because yeah, he's so. a smashing chap, isn't he? And always makes himself available. I, and, and particularly in the Alonso period, he was the one who was just standing around at the back. Not, having a chat. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, making himself available. I mean, he was the pulse at the last, that year. Yeah, he was the guy funny. who actually put the lap in. Everybody flocked around Alonso. And I remember your little plaintive voice saying, would you actually like to hear from the man who set the lap time? <laughs> uh, and he was leaning sort of casually uh, at the on the on the uh, on the toolboxes at the back of the garage. I know. I, I know. You know. I think you sit down. I think if any of us sat down and listed the six uh, Toyota Works drivers and then put them in order of people we we would we would want to retain, he'd probably be second or third in every single list. Uh, in, yeah. Well, um, there has been some interesting. Um, decisions that have been driven potentially by marketing rather than oh, by... Never. Uh, you sure? I'm, I'm particularly looking at the South American market and, and yes, you, Jose Maria. Um, and actually, that links in to our next story because... Well, before we uh, go on to that, can I do another okay. Japanese story? Yeah, go on. Ooh, go go on. on. Yeah, throw Nick, it in. Nick threw in that uh, Kamui Kobayashi tangent uh, mm. just now. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, oh, who knows what he's up to now. I'd like to throw in a Sakon Yamamoto tangent. Jesus Christ. Right. Go on then. Please let me do something that's safe, not driving a racing car. He's not driving a <laughs> racing car. Uh, but right. uh, what happened in Japan on Sunday? I don't know. It was election day. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, right. And yes. Sakon Yamamoto is now 
a member of the Japanese House of Representatives for the Liberal Democratic me. Party. Well, yes, but I've sort of an interesting thing about the, 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 the Japanese electoral system where they are effectively um, just due to demographics and will always be until they change to a one-party state. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Sakun Yamamoto... Oh. Uh, not the, not the first runs... and won't be the last old racing driver to go into politics. No. Now runs a uh, healthcare company. Right, very interesting. Okay, moving on. So, back to retirement was... news. More retirement news. Yes, go on then, Tim. Uh, Anthony Davidson has announced that he's going to retire from top-line sports car racing as well. Yes, but he's 42, so that's allowed. <laughs> and he's still younger than us. Yeah, but th- at this point now, younger than us is no longer uh, any sort of measure of, of youth. <laughs> well, that might be true for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Uh, even you, mate. Um, yeah, I think it's... It, it, yeah, uh, the only plus point f- I can see from that is that we should get less Paul DeResta on Sky F1 and get, get more Ant Davidson, which has to be a, a benefit. Oh, the I less like Paul DeResta, the better. Oh, cut. OK, but let's not have that conversation on, on air. Uh... I'm still skimming through the Super Formula drivers to see. I did. Are. I did hear there's a re, there's a remake of um, Hitchhiker's Guide. He's absolutely up for Marvin the Paranoid Android. <laughs> uh, Anthony Davidson, who did suffer, of course, in some of those decisions from Toyota when there was no room at the inn, um, when it all uh, when Alonso came in, and in a straight fight between him and. Uh, Jose Maria Lopez um, Lopez won uh, bizarrely Um, not sure what was going on uh, at that point other than selling lots of Toyotas and probably sell more Toyotas in South America than they do around Silverstone maybe I I don't know I think it's very likely Mm. Um, however has carved out a very nice niche for himself uh, Nick while still driving in uh, top line LMP2 hasn't always uh, had the rub of the green or the best teams, but has now decided that it's time to call it a day and, and concentrate on his on his media work. Yeah, I think he'll also carry on doing the sim stuff and Mercedes. I think he's just stopping the racing, the going round professionally. I'm sure he'll also be the sort of guy who'll be doing the Goodwood stuff and the classic racing, and you know, very much like and um, uh, you know, the, a number of the drivers when they retire, they end up doing non-competitive, competitive racing. You know what I mean? Uh, and how how would we characterise his his career then? A Formula One career was close but not quite, um, and found a new a new outlet for his talents in sports cars. Kind of think he's just you know he's managed to be, in one way he's managed to be a professional racing driver for a very long time, twenty years. I think mm. he's been certainly been paid since two thousand. But if you in the end, if you look at the trophies in the cabinet, he hasn't got a lot to show for it. But that's been a combination of wrong place, wrong time, bad luck, um, you know, the odd mistake. You know, he's had a great career, but it's, it, you know, oddly, he hasn't really anything much to show for it as far as medals are concerned. But, you know, how he'll certainly be remembered, and I think he'll be judged, judged very well. I think, you know, in, in other circumstances, he could well have had a 10, 11 year, 11 year F1 career, just never quite came together. He's very, very quick on his day. He, he is, he's got a massively good reputation, always did have, for testing. Um, yeah. And, you know, carved out a really nice um, 
a really nice career as as test driver in Formula One for BAR amongst others. Yeah, BAR, but more for Honda. That's, that's why I ended up, of course, at, Good um, Super Aguri for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, you know, you can't classify his career as anything other than a success. But he's been paid to do it for twenty years, mm. which is very impressive. Uh, Peugeot, of course, Aston Martin racing in sports cars uh, in the Lawler Aston Martin. Uh, team Peugeot raced alongside Alex Verts and Mark Chenier, um and won Sebring um, with those two. Uh, mm. That was the year, unfortunately, where all the Peugeots had engine failures. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Then to Toyota and uh, finished third in the 24 hours of Le Mans in 2014. Um, I, I feel a little bit for Ant because, as you say, he's been there or thereabouts and he's earned a living, which, let's be honest, there's, of all the people who are involved in any sport, but particularly in motorsport, the people who can, who can actually pay their bills out of doing it is a very small percentage indeed. Mm-hmm. But I, I, do, I do think he's good on the telly. Um, I like his analysis and um, and what he brings to the Formula One coverage. He's um, probably, in some respects, he's almost as famous for his helmet design, which is the copy of Eddie Cheever's helmet, isn't it, uh, that he's raced since his karting days. Um, but um, 42, it still, it still seems to me like he's got something to give. So we'll get him on well, the show when he gets back yeah. from Bahrain and I find think, out yeah, why. That would be great. I mean, he's got, but, but he has got so many other careers. I suppose perhaps, you know, a young family thinks, do I need to do, you know, when I'm doing the work for, for I'm doing the work for Mercedes down the road from where I live, which is great. And I'm sure it pays very well. Well, it's uh, doing, could cycle to it and probably I'm does. Doing, I'm doing X races a year, probably be like half the Grand Prix to be flying to next year, which is enough time away from the young family. If you, if you, you know, do I need to do eight, 12, 15 international races? Um, if he feels his, his competitive instincts will be safety by probably so, so some, some good Woody and you know, classic and that sort of thing outings, which may well be, you know, it might be that, you know, it might be that, you know, he just sits there going, yeah, it's great, but I just want, if I'm not actually on the top step, I, you know, it's, it's not really doing it for me. And it happens, everyone loses their desire at some point, and, but he's lucky because he's got a huge amount of talent in other areas. So, you know, he's doing, he's doing very, very well, really. Okay. Driver who's on the, slipping back the other story, and thanks to Nick Holland for this, uh, Charles Malaisi is on the Toyota test list for this Sunday. Uh, mm. How about Grosjean? I think Grosjean's busy enough in full-time in IndyCar. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think I think that he's looking to actually relocate to the states as well. So I think that's what he's going to be doing for the next. And it's a much more intensive. Calendar. I like I like Charles Malaysia. I think it's a good call, but he's not Japanese. Yeah, he's not Japanese. Unless I'm prepared to, you know, it, it, it's that it, it, this is next year is an interesting year, isn't it? Because we've got um, Peugeot starting off, so no one expects very much from them. And then the following year it goes absolutely crazy with everyone turning up. So do you at this point start thinking ahead about betting in drivers for two years' time? Mm. And with Nakajima moving aside do you think about moving other people aside do you think about some of the older drivers who you know do, are they still going to be right at the top in when it's going to get difficult in 2023 and do you start you know looking for three or four new drivers yeah um rather than you know do you, and I, i'm sure financially wouldn't do it but you know do they even get the point where we're on a third car at the moment to get more drivers bedded in i don't know i mean it's, it's, it's finance obviously and they've never run a third car so i'm not too many questions i go but <laughs> <laughs> Should just mention, by the way, Anthony Davidson did win the 2014 World Endurance Championship um, alongside Sebastian Buemi. So he has got an FIA World Championship to his Was he at World Championship then? Ah. Yeah. 
I don't know what year it started being a world championship. It may have been there by 14. I, I don't know. Well, it came in as a world championship, didn't it? That was the <laughs> point. But did it have a driver's world championship? That's a very good point. Oh, yeah, again. I think the top class always was a world championship. It was only some of the other classes that didn't have it that straight away. Was it my way round. That's fine. Wasn't, what? wasn't it originally a world championship for manufacturers in prototypes and the drivers was in GT Pro? Oh, I don't know. I think it's a good point. No, I, I think don't know. GT Pro came after the the manufacturer title because it was just a, it was a trophy rather than a championship, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I seem to remember, but I have a feeling. And I, again, at Spec Entertainment, um, let let me know. Uh, JJ says, "What about uh, Ogier? Um No, too old. Um, Alan Prosser reminds us of Ant Davidson coming up with one of the best replies to Lewis Morning uh, on the radio. He said, uh, this is the bumpiest track in the world and Ant Davidson on the television company says, no, it's not. Sebring is. (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. Well made and beautifully presented. All right. uh, Those are our two top stories. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 43. Where to... Uh, next, Tim, as we've uh, taken up a good chunk of that first half an hour with Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News. Uh, some more Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News, uh, because if 36 is a good age to retire at, that means there's only four years left for Alex Brundle, and he's going to spend the next two of those with Inter <laughs> Europol, as was announced today. So not retiring at all, then? No, not yet. No. No, uh, th- uh, it's worrying. He's as old as he is, though. I know, thirty-one now. He's on. The, if you played dominoes, he's on the cross. He's he's right there. Um, the I uh, I think this is good for uh, for Alex for a couple of reasons. Um, it's never. Uh, it's seldom. I want to never. It's seldom bad, Nick, isn't it? Uh, uh, to to get a bit of consistency in your planning and having a two-year contract under your arm currently. He, he's not waiting for any LMDH calls. He's not wondering. He's got a good competitor, an or a good competitive team. He's got a good competitive LMP2 drive for a couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm sure he's fished around to see what's going on in, in LMDH, decided it's not likely to happen, and therefore uh, um, elected to take, them, take the opportunity with the team he obviously has fitted in very well with. Yeah. Absolutely. Their, their success, though, has come in LMP3 rather than LMP2, and they are still working their way towards winning something in LMP2. Yes, yeah, yeah but, you know, having... having the, It's a bit like a good football team, a good soccer team, isn't it? You need a good backbone of the team. Uh, so you need a good goalkeeper, a good centre-half, a good central midfield, and somebody up front and knocking in. Well, you know, having a good driver for two years, you can build a team around that. And in a particularly in a, a formula that is going more and more towards pro am um, in the the next couple of seasons, having someone Nick like Alex who not only can drive quickly but can also help other talent along, whether it's up and coming new young talent at, at silver level, or whether it is a um, Driver of who's who's learning, but is of more advanced years. No, exactly. I mean, this is this is this is the way a number of uh, fast young drivers who you know have carved out careers when it's obvious the ultimate aim is not going to happen. They 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 
found themselves a combination of benefactor stroke someone they they get on very well as they can bring along you know in the in the, in the gentleman drivers and they form a, a partnership that that's mutually very very beneficial between the two of them and alex will be sharing that car with kuba Schmikowski for those two years kuba said i'm looking forward to continuing to share the car with alex i have learned a lot from him this past year and we also have a share a good sense of humor I would say as well that Alex is also uh, doing really well in classic stuff and he's thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it uh, as well. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports, Nick Damon, John Hindorf uh, and Tim Gray at the moment. Shea Adam still to come as well as some more guests. Uh, Tim, what do you had for us next? We've got a busy night tonight. We have uh, another... I mean, basically, the stories are getting younger and younger because uh, from 31-year-old oh, uh, Alex Brundle, we're now going to talk about 15-year-old Josh Pearson. Uh, if you remember, if you were listening to our Le Mans coverage, um, which was 11 weeks ago now, wasn't it? Um, we spoke to Josh during one of the free practice sessions when uh, it was announced he was signing with United Autosport. And this week, uh, we know exactly what he's going to be doing for United Autosport and earlier on, John had a chance to talk to him and find out uh, how that came about. So basically, it all started as this crazy idea. Uh, my driver coach, Stephen Simpson, who was working with me on the road to Indy, um, drove LMP2 for JDC. And um, he, he basically said at St. Pete in 2020 that, hey, your driving style is, is perfect for these cars, and I want to get you a test. Uh, in the States. And so a, 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 a test in the States led to, I ended up talking with Zach at Barber, which led to the test at the Red Bull ring with United. So, and that, was, there, so that was Zach really, Brown, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the top. Yeah, I like that yeah. young man. Very good. <laughs> so then this all led to the test in Austria, which eventually led to the signing. And at first I didn't really understand it because I, I'm not a, I wasn't big into the sports car world, so I didn't understand the driver ratings and, <laughs> and why this was something that was so important to them to have um, a good silver. And so I, I, once I learned about the driver ratings and all that, the, it made a little bit more sense to me because originally I was like, this feels like a crazy idea to sign me for, uh, the, for WEC. So, but I, I mean, I, I figured it out and eventually realized kind of what it was all about. And um, I couldn't be more thankful for Richard and, and Zach Brown and everyone that's helped me. World Endurance Championship. That's WEC. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I've i seen your name on Road to Indy. Stephen Simpson, of course, we know very well from our work uh, in IMSA and, and on IMSA Radio. I suppose the first question is, what's made you stray away? I'll, I'll never say never. You'll go back to Formula Cars if, if the opportunity arrives, I'm sure. But what's made you stray away from single-seaters? Actually, I've always been a pretty open-minded driver in the sense that the the best way I felt to show my talent in America was from the road to Indy and the single-seater cars. But my perspective has always been whatever people will sign me to drive, and if it's something that I'm interested in doing, I'm going to go do it. And Stephen, obviously, when he, he always talks to me a lot about sports car stuff and and I, I really enjoyed it. I've, I've watched Le Mans, obviously, before. I'd never been to the event until this year when Richard had me come out just to see things for the first time. Smart. And endurance racing is, I mean, it's so cool. It's, it's this, just the, the fact that you can, you can, these cars run for that long, even is, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to me. So 
I, I find it intriguing and it's something that I wanted to try. And I mean, every driver, I think, dreams about competing in Le Mans at one point or another. And so I, I said, yeah, let's let's go do it. And when I got the opportunity, I was, I was ecstatic. Tell our listeners how old you are. Yes, I am 15 years old. Yes, exactly. 15 years old. Now, you've had a couple of tests, but you had the opportunity after the final European Le Mans Series round at Potimao uh, to have a a slightly more extended test and really try and get your your head around the LMP2 machinery. How did that go? Great, actually. Um, It was nice to have the data from the race weekend. So we obviously, we had all the, the race runs and the qualifying uh, efforts from all the drivers uh, in the data. So, I mean, my goal has been, I don't necessarily need to be the fastest driver. I just need to be the fastest silver. So That's very good. for me, that was, the, that was the goal. So we basically worked towards that all weekend as well as uh, the actual endurance part of it. So I did a double stint on each day, um, which was very physical. Portimao was surprisingly physical. Oh, yeah. Um, Really expecting that, but the track was extremely physical. So the double stint went well on the second day. The first day was a little beaten up, and then the second day I tried some stuff that really helped me out a lot in the car physically. So it went well. We had good race pace. Uh, my engineer Will and Richard, those guys were all uh, giving me a helping hand. And I and from what I know of, I think we were one of the fastest silvers. So I I, I think the test went basically as well as it could have gone. Josh, if you don't mind me asking, what was the longest race you'd done prior to that? Longest time you'd sat in a seat in a, in a racing car? For me, with the experience on the road, Indy, the races are only, they're roughly 22 to 25 laps or uh, 45 minutes. Yeah. So that's basically the longest I've been in the car is 45 minutes. That's a single stint in an LMP2 car. So are you going to do double and triple stints when you go to Le Mans so that's that's a big step yeah. up how, how did the car uh, how did the car um, represent itself and, and was your single seater experience uh, useful to you or was it a whole new ball game so actually there they do have a lot of differences um, obviously but the single seater car being you don't have a roof over your head I think was the strangest <laughs> feeling for me was getting into the P2 car and actually having uh, a roof over my head and not feeling the wind like you do in the single seater. Yeah. Um, so you don't have that kind of reference for speed that you normally would have where wind is kind of, you know, pushing at your helmet and you have that, that speed reference. You don't, you don't get that in a P2 car. So that, that was in, that would have been an interesting change for you. Did you feel constricted or claustrophobic even maybe? Um, not really. I mean, the, the Orca, the Orca tub is actually very small. Surprisingly, I mean, when you look at the cars from the outside, you think they're quite big, but when you see them stripped down and you see just the tub, it's it's actually very small. So I, I didn't feel cross, uh, claustrophobic or, or anything like that. Um, the first time I was in it, I think it was more just trying to get used to the downforce and the, and the speed, mm-hmm. um, as well as you have a lot more braking efficiency and stuff like that that you don't get with the single-seater car. You know, carbon brakes instead of steel brakes and it was just a lot to get used to, so I don't think I was really thinking about that and thinking about my surroundings. But once I got used to all that and then started looking at it, still wasn't claustrophobic, but definitely was feeling more cramped. The other thing you're going to have to get used to, and you've been testing so far, so this hasn't really come up. You've been optimising the car, working with your engineer, working with your United 
team behind you as an individual. But ultimately, you're going to have to share a car with one and two other drivers, uh, which you will never have done before. That's a whole different mindset. But I played a lot of team sports growing up, like soccer and, and lacrosse with friends. So for me, working as a team is uh, it's not going to be I'm not going to be a complete stranger to it. Um, and I'm actually looking forward. I think I think it's going to be a different experience, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be something quite different, but also special. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting my first experience with sharing the car with two other drivers. WEC means going to Le Mans next year. Um, you'll start the yeah. season at, at Sebring uh, as part of the IMSA anniversary weekend, at least in, in continental terms, will be on home ground. Uh, a, a season mm-hmm. um, that will take you to the world's biggest endurance race. And by my reckoning, you might be the youngest driver to take the start of that race and race in it, uh, if all goes well. So I should be the youngest driver in history to compete in Le Mans, um, which is actually, this is part of where the idea started from with uh, my driver coach, Steven, and my dad was being the, I mean, we didn't, it wasn't even on the radar until we realized, and we got the opportunity to sign, and then we realized, like, hey, this is a thing that will actually happen if we do this, um, which was pretty cool. So it, it was something that I, I wasn't planned, but is going to end up being the case. And I think that's uh, that's something quite special. I wish you all the best in that. Thank you. I have a lot of respect for all the guys that you work with, Stephen, and, of course, everybody at United who we've known for a a very long time. I I hope you enjoy it. I hope you'll want to stay with it. And and good luck for next year. And will you come and talk to us again when you've you've done your first race after Sebring? Yeah, I'd love to come and talk to you again after uh, I've done my first race. Right, great. And we might even be able to, in a slightly more normalised world, actually meet face-to-face and and have you in the booth at some stage. Imagine that, meeting people. Wow, how weird. (laughs) Josh Pearson, thank you very much indeed. The newest signing for United Autosport and starting his career in endurance racing. Good luck to you, Josh. Have a good off-season and we'll see you next year. See you next year. Thank you. There's a whole generation of racing drivers that we haven't met yet, John. I felt exactly the same. Someone was uh, talking to me about Formula 4 this year, and I'm thinking, I couldn't recognise these people because I've never met them. I've only seen them from a very long way away. No, no, they're actually, they were close to you. They're just that small. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. Um Jesse says this interview is his histor- is historic. Fifteen years old, we'll be digging it out for a long time to come. And Simon Hoff saying, retiring in your thirties, will this soon be? Ever since I was a young child, I wanted to retire from top class motorsport. <laughs> I quite like that, Simon. I really do. Uh, Tim, where would you like to go to next? I'm just thinking, who's the youngest uh, guest we've ever had on Midweek Motorsport? Have we had anybody younger than Josh? Younger I mean, than yes, we 15? have. I remember that Ollie Milroy was oh, 14 the first time 14, he joined that's us. that's right. Um, that was a good 15 years ago. David Alcock has just said, Dave uh, has tweeted at Spectre Tim, listening to Josh being interviewed, can't believe he's only 15. Uh, I only hope our world of sports car racing can keep me in the fold. I think the sport is in good hands for the future. Hope Josh, Josh's back and shoulders are in training for Sebring. Yes, Agree. He doesn't sound, in fairness, he doesn't sound as young as he is. He talks very well. He talks very sensibly. He's got a big uh, background in karting. He represented the USA 
uh, in uh, a team, an international team karting event, and he's been in the he's been in Formula Ford 2000, hasn't he, in the road to Indy uh, as well. So he's got quite a bit of experience, and and for someone from that side of the water, quite a traditional motorsport upbringing, uh, and clearly is not frightened of of talking to scary old blokes with like me. So very. You remind me of his grandfather. <laughs> Probably. If his grandfather uh, was from the northeast of England. Yes. Uh, two more young Americans uh, coming up in the second hour of the show. Oh, oh yeah, hang on. Uh, no, I haven't heard anything about back from that yet, but yes. Hopefully. hopefully. Two more yeah. young Americans in the uh, second hour of the show. Uh, Max Esterson and Andre Castro telling us how they got on at the 50th anniversary Formula Ford Festival at the weekend. Uh, yes, uh, Shay Adam um, says she's a young American. Shay, I don't think you qualify anymore. You're old enough be, to be. Uh, you'll be retiring shortly, won't you? You're old enough to be Josh Pearson's yes. mother. Yes, yes. There you go. Let's just put that in perspective. That is very, very scary. Uh, hello, Shay. I don't like you anymore, Tim. <laughs> hello, Shay. <laughs> Hello. Good. Excellent. Uh, we'll be keeping you there for a moment because uh, we're going to go to something where we need Nick for, I think, are we now? Uh, we can do, yes. I've got something for Shay you've just reminded me of. Uh, all right, we'll fire do away. That later. Uh, oh, because it's right. time for some Formula One news. <laughs> what have you done to your microphone? Have unplugged you unplugged it, clearly. It? No, I'm here now. How's okay. that? You were just in. Hey, um, I go outside the room. My ears, man. My ears. No, I, uh, I come through uh, the window. Shall I tell you what happened there? What? Well, during that interview, I was eating cake and I forgot to put it back down again. Ah, okay. Fine. It was the sugar rush I needed. The Mexican hat dance there, as uh, Nick. So <laughs> we are in Mexico this weekend. Mexico! But we're uh, not going to talk uh, about that. No, okay. but uh, we're just reminding yes. everybody to, to set their. DVRs and everything for it because it's a busy weekend of motorsport. Uh, what would you like to talk to Nick about, Tim? Well, it's nearly panto season. No, oh, no, it's oh, no, not. It's not. <laughs> hey, and, that, uh, I'll not behind you now. And uh, Toto Wolf has found the perfect panto villain, according to the Daily Mail. Is it? Is it Christian Horner? It is. Oh no, oh, it isn't. No, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Wid- Widow Twanky Horner. Oh, yes. Well, he's, he's, yeah. Mm, yeah. What, what is it? What, what, so the Daily Mail has decided that after them sniping each other now for, what, eight months straight, it's, it's worthy of one of their articles. Is that what you're saying? Slow, slow news week. What Christian <laughs> says about me feeling pressure? No, not at all, says Wolf. I feel he's one of the protagonists in a pantomime, part of the Formula One cast. And for me as a stakeholder, as a team owner, it's great that he creates these kind of stories. But it's irrelevant, really. You put a microphone in front oh. of some people or a camera and they start to behave like little actors. He's having a dig there because Horner doesn't have any stake in the team, doesn't he? Absolutely. That's nice. He's, like he's just an employee. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, they they obviously have. Uh, I they they obviously are irritated with each other. Whether it's anything more than that, I don't know. But they are just doing the the snipe here and the snipe there. It's just the same as it was with John Tott and Ron Dennis. Just that John Tott and Ron Dennis are rather more significant people. But you know, what else did uh, Toto have to say? 
I was a better driver than him. I've won the uh, Dubai 24 hours. He uh, hasn't. Uh, yeah, well, yes, but then don't forget that, that uh, you know, Horner managed to almost qualify for Formula 2000 race. He, he finished fifth in one once. Really? Was, it, was, it, was there a lot of attrition? There was, yeah. <laughs> no reverse yeah. grid races in those days, though. No. no. no, no but yeah, so yeah. He, he wouldn't have started third the next time. He'd have started in fact, yeah, so if you're running usual. around for... You're running around Formula 3000 and you're getting to the end and you're there or thereabouts, you're still a very good driver. It's like there's no oh, bad great. drivers in F1. It's levels of goodness. Hmm. But it doesn't make him any less of an irritant as a team boss. Can we move on from this? I feel we're not going anywhere. In many no, ways, we're, we're going back to our roots, says Toto. Really? Uh, because what Bernie Eccleston created back in the day was racing and soap opera. And when there wasn't enough racing, he made soap opera. So it's we're back enough. there. So, if we're going back to our roots, it'll just be an odyssey, is it? Hey, uh, okay. Um, well, you know, there's, there's a point about that. Um, everyone's into narrative story. Obviously, you don't really need to hype this season particularly because you've got a, a proper one-on-one battle between two very good drivers at different ends of their career running for different teams with with different pressures. So, um, yeah, you, you don't need the soap opera, but they've decided to ramp that up as well for some reason. Um, you know, it's all, it's all publicity and it's, you know, that's what the only reason Red Bull are in, are in Formula 1 is for publicity, so. Uh, now, uh, following the news uh, last week that Andretti aren't buying Sauber, uh, this week I told Porsche you are. No, they're not buying Sauber. No, the point about this is Porsche have, 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 have basically just kind of said, yeah, we're thinking about it. They're only thinking about being an engine supplier. They're thinking about being an engine supplier. They've been and, thinking and, about being an engine supplier for a very yeah, long time. But, but much as I said, again, several weeks ago, all they're going to do is buy this this, this, this engine, uh, buy into this engine uh, manufacturing business that uh, Red Bull are setting up between now and the next regulation change, which is 2026. When 2026 comes over, the VAG group is going to buy that engine, that engine manufacturing base, and it's going to sell, and it's going to supply its engines in exactly the same format, one badged Porsche, one badged Audi, um, to probably Red Bull and they say McLaren is the second is the second team because obviously neither Audi or uh, Porsche want to supply engines badged by themselves to um, AlphaTauri who is seen as the second team. They both want a, a first team a chance to win. So AlphaTauri will pick up probably something else. But AlphaTauri will be the Skoda or the Cupra version of the engine. VW. But, um, yeah, uh, VW aren't. Don't forget VW are not going to compete in anything that's not all electric or anything at all motorsport. They said. So yeah, so we could have McLaren Porsche again. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what people are saying. And then obviously tag, saying, tag oh, McLaren Porsche, wasn't it? McLaren tag Porsche, wasn't it? The thing is, the, the other point is. Oh, by the, the way, whilst you're talking about that, don't forget that there was a Seat Ibiza that had a system Porsche engine. Yes, it did. Good point. Wow, that's that's really rich back from that. That was the one that, that was the launch car into the UK, wasn't it? They, they did that. And they had. I'm trying to get some system. I am trying to get some system Porsche decals to put on our Ibiza, just so everything is Porsche powered. But in 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 Porsche and 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 Team News, um, Zach Brown said something. I think it was Zach Brown said that uh, very soon the F1 teams will be worth one billion dollars, a billion dollars, a billion dollars. But he's not wrong. And this is this is the thing. As someone pointed out the cheapest NFL franchise is worth two point two billion. Mm. And you're telling me that once F1's making money, which it will be doing within a year, possibly two years at the outside, the teams be making lots and lots and lots of lovely money. The, the franchise won't be worth a billion then. How poor is going to buy into that? They haven't got the money, or the or or the want to do it. 
So, so the reason the address now is the time to, to buy then, then. wasn't enough cash. Now is the time nope, to say goodbye. Well, no, the point is, as the teams get more and more valuable, suddenly paying the 200 million entry fee gets more and more attractive. Mm. Yes, good point. That is a good point. So, you know, this is this is the rock and the hard place we're currently in. It's it's there there are there are teams you could buy, um, but they all know how much they're worth now, which is probably double what they're worth this time last year. So is 200 million actually looking, if not a bargain, certainly more like value? It's not the insurmountable problem it was. The problem is you then have to set a team up from scratch. And, what the, and the attractive well, thing about taking, existing, uh, taking over a team is you get lots of infrastructure, which is, it, it shortcuts about two years, uh, an already difficult process. So here's the thing. that I, I was talking to somebody um, the other day who was saying that given this exact set of circumstances that you're describing here, Nick, and also given the cost capping, Spending mm-hmm. two hundred million and setting up a whole new team from yep. one of the existing yes. teams is actually a really, really good idea. And because you've got to spend two hundred million. You don't really have to spend two hundred million. No, because you don't have to because ten million you'd be giving to yourself anyway. Correct. Exactly. And if your Red Bull twenty million, you'd be giving to yourself. Yes, exactly. You can keep you, you. You have resources that you're keeping on site. You have what is likely to be a, an appreciable, appreciating rather asset in the mm-hmm. medium to certainly longer term. And you've also got outlets for your young driver program for. Uh, extra sponsorship, but mainly it means that you can keep people on side that uh, you'd like to keep in the group, or at least certainly not like to go to one of your competitors. Well, there are already rumours that this has been looked into very seriously by Alpine, yeah. which is Renault and Alpine, which is surprising because they're the people I thought financially might find it most difficult. But if you look at the, if you look at any, so B teams, effectively, this could bring us B teams in the way that we've always all been saying, yes. you know, for years, they should run a third car, they should run a this, you should have yes. a young driver team, etc., etc. This actually could bring us b- proper B teams. Three, to, three years' time, when, the, when things are settled down, people work and can actually analyse all the cash spend. I'm telling you right now, if we get to 2026 and we haven't got a full grid of 12 teams, I'll be very, very surprised. Yeah, totally and, agree. But don't forget, 12 is the maximum. That is written in stone. So right. There's two spare slots, which currently cost 200 million each, or 190 or 180 you're buying it from yourself. Mm. And there's nothing to say that if a couple, of te- a couple of teams decide to have an agreement with each other, they couldn't just offset against against, against th- th- themselves. So, uh, Kevin Payne says on Spectatainment, at Spectatainment, huge shock that once teams are making a profit, their value goes up. Great strategy <laughs> now in place, which will attract new teams uh, once the sale of existing teams has completed its cycle. And Jesse said, hang on, the Buffalo Bills currently valued at $2.27 billion. To think that an F1 team could outvalue them is mind-boggling. Mm. Could do, though. Absolutely well, could do. Have you got anything yeah. else on F1 before we do a quick bit of bikes, Tim? Oh, we have uh, several more Formula 1 stories. What are there going right. to be more of next year, Nick? Oh, sprint racing. <laughs> no, you're wrong. Sprint qualifying. No, no. Sprint. The sprint. It's just called the sprint. Yeah, but I noticed that, that Ross has decided the only people who don't like sprints are us old fogey diehards. Mm. And then to placate the old fogey diehards, he's saying they're going to score pole positions from qualifying. 
Rather he listens to this show, sprint. you know. Ross, nah, Ross I mean, Broad listens to this show. I know is, that as a fact. Let's, what do I always say about anything to do with F1, John? Follow the money. Every single promoter wants a sprint race. Yeah. Was his other line, and I understand why, because it gets bums on seats. Um, obviously, there's some tracks where it's completely unnecessary, or sorry, untenable, but, and they're going from three to six, and you can bet your bottom dollar that next year, they'll go, the following year, they'll go from six to nine, and they'll get to probably in the end... Half the races. No, they'll get to about 15 or 16. They're, they're obviously never going to do That'll a That'll be half the Monaco. races by then, because we'll be doing 30 races by oh, I sincerely hope not. But they'll never do it in Monaco, because it's, cause it's just... yeah. They're, 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 even, they are sens- even they are sensible enough to know there's some tracks where you don't do it, because it's just... No, no, they'll do two sprints at Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll only have half the field out in each of the races. It'll it'll be uh, be like the the NASCAR, uh, like the NASCAR. It's not a car density issue there. Yeah, <laughs> it's a car width the issue. Jewels, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, and that's fine. The, and, jewels, but, yeah, yeah. the rules are the rules. It's the same for everybody. I should think the teams will, will be a little bit irritated by more sprint races when they are getting more races and not getting any more engine allowances. We have seen a lot of, you know, just for everybody. I think I think by the time we get there, every single team will take an extra engine proving they couldn't do it on three. They've moaned about the reasons why they've done it, but they've all had to take an extra one. So, you know, which does skew the championship and skews individual races. And it kind of makes me think, well, why would we just give them four to begin with? It's not, you know, in the scheme of things, it doesn't actually well, it's affect become, the cost It's become all. tactical this year. It's become tactical. I and actually, I found it really interesting, to be honest. No, people, yeah, but the thing is, it's, 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 it's fine because, it's, because Lewis and Max taking an extra engine evened itself out. It didn't, advantage or disadvantage either if there'd been like a 20 point swing just because they had to take engines at different races and had different levels of luck and the championship ends up being won by less than 20 points you go well the whole thing was but was decided on engine penalties i i i think what they should do as and well luck. now that, the, that they're going for total gimmicks i think <laughs> I, I think what they should do now is do you know like how you've got the manager's choice on um uh, on car hire sometimes and you take a bit of pot look i think they should have a joke attire so that you, that there's one tyre, one John, weekend. John, what? They've got four Joker tyres, one at each corner of the car. Ha ha, brum tish. Um, you might be preempting th- another story here, John. Oh really? I, I, honestly, I didn't know that. I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. Go on. Uh, Ross Braun said uh, the success of sprint qualifying has changed people's minds a little bit this season. With everyone no, it hasn't. now more open to testing new ideas and concepts. Yeah. All right, Ross. We, we, you used to talk complete balls of dash when you were team manager of Ferrari, and now you're talking complete balls of dash as, as, as like running Ross. the side of F1. I didn't say I didn't like Ross, but Ross is a political animal and knows what to say and when. The fact was, everyone went, ah, about the one in Silverstone, but everyone went, no, after Monza. And by everyone, I mean more than two-thirds of people asked. That's funny. So, you know, fine. I mean, he is a political animal, and the people who are paying his bills, promoters want more sprint races. It's the bills. It's not. It's not. Not the Buffalo Bills this time. It's the bills that uh, define so much as don't F one. So more sprint races. What are there going to be fewer of next season? FP threes. <laughs> yes, very good. I don't know. Tell me. Tires. And the tires. No, no. Only theoretically, possibly at some events to try and look a bit more greener. And this is ultimate tokenism. Because the tyres aren't wasted, they're they're chopped up and recycled. So yeah, but not recycled you know, into other tyres. Well, 
Yeah, but there's lots of things that aren't recycled to what they were. But the whole point is they're not wasted; they're recycled. They're made into children's playgrounds and all sorts of other, sprinkled on American football fields, chopped up yeah. and done all that sort yeah, of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, there, there is. There's, I don't know. It's, we're, 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 I, it's obviously there's a major conference going on in Scotland at the moment, and we're having a vast amount of announcements from all sorts of different sports about what they're doing. And this apparently was deemed more important than to talk about the push towards bio, biofuels. Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, my well, idea for one that uses is so little fuel that it doesn't really matter, though. Well, my idea for a joke tire. My idea for a joke tire is that you have one tire across the weekend that nobody knows what it is, and you have to use it in the race. And you're not allowed to test on it beforehand. You just have to use a set of them in the race. Okay, um, it's not your stupidest idea. No, no. Okay. I haven't had to qualify on it. Oh. No, I think you've got to use it during the race because then there's a strategic element of yeah. when you use it. Do you use it at the beginning and go, oh, blow me, we could have done 20 laps on that, or do you put it on at the end with 10 laps to go and realise it's going to fall apart after well, four laps? The problem is, unless they get it delivered to them um, preheated at the time of the race, they'll stick a couple of probes in and know exactly what it is in two seconds flat. Well, there you go. Uh, Nick, we'll be back in the second hour with a what? bit of bike news, if that's all right with you. Sure. I do have uh, one very quick Go thing. On. Uh, this time. We have got time. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has a dream. What is it? A fantasy. Um, I assume it's something to do with STEM and, and uh, equal representation, because he's been doing some very good work on that recently. It's about adding another race to the calendar. Oh, for goodness sake, no. Lewis, no. We've got enough races. On the moon? No, he wants, he wants South Africa back, doesn't he? He wants, he wants to race back. in South Africa. Really? Mm. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad it's idea. Kyle Lama's no, only no, grade two at the minute, though, isn't it? Well, there's no races, there's no races on the African continent, which is a, a oh, major mission. And, of course, South Africa is, is, I suppose, the most suitable, both temperature and... Well, not doing brilliantly, but they may be able to get the money together. But that's a big question, isn't it? The, the desire to go there will be heavily tempered by cash. Again, I mentioned cash about Formula One. I'm well, about surely it. they could go back to Libya. <laughs> they could have a Libyan Grand Prix if we're going to do all of the uh, yeah, yeah, Morocco, dictatorships yeah, and that. That would be. Well, the political situation doesn't matter. It's, it's how many dollars they've got. Ah, okay. I don't think South Africa's got that much money, have they? No, that's the problem, unfortunately. Okay. Who else uh, uh, likes the idea of a South African Grand Prix? The South Africans? <laughs> yes. They, they've been uh, very quiet on the matter, actually. All right. Because they, they've, they've looked at their bank balance. Got Ah, yeah, no, it's all right. Well, we'll stick with our nine-hour insurance race. Thanks very much. Yep. Um, who else? Kelvin von der Linde. Uh, which other yeah, Formula hiding, One yeah. driver? Let's narrow it down. Ah, okay. Uh, Daniel mm-hmm. Ricciardo. No. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Oh. Uh, um, Nikita Mazepin. No. Mick? Because he's... All right, we, we could just go through them you all could. now. It is I, declare. <laughs> hey, we haven't heard that for ages. <laughs> why? Why does Charles, why does Charles uh, want to go to South Africa? I think he just all likes agreeing with Lewis about stuff. Seems yeah. Teammates in waiting, those two, they really are. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. 
went into a little bit of uh, uh, overtime there in the first first half. Um, news coming up of uh, the Historic Racing News special following us tonight. Uh, we'll also have news of Simcast and On The Grid tomorrow. Coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, Shea Adam has more. Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News as we look at the confirmed entry list for Motul Patil Amon at Michelin Road Atlanta. Uh, Nick will be back with some bike news. Your tweets on at Specutainment. But next, in an interview that we, we recorded last Thursday, Pascal Vassalon, team manager at Toyota Gazoo Racing, tells us how close they were to losing Le Mans 2021. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. Well, delighted to say that joining us uh, here on Midweek Motorsport is Pascal Vassalon from Toyota Gazoo Racing. Uh, getting towards the end now of what has been an extraordinary season with the new GRO10 for Hypercar. Pascal, thank you for, for joining us, first of all. What, what a season. What, a, what an effort from everybody. Give us a, a little overview of where we are in the season. You're in Bahrain now, and we're talking to you before the final. How do you feel it's gone so far? Yeah, as you just said, we, we, we are in Bahrain. We have a lead. We have a points lead in, uh, in uh, the team championship and the driver championship. But as we very well know, racing is over only when it's over. It went well, I would say, with some up and downs. But globally, yeah, so far we have been managing to win uh, to win all races. We cannot complain with a new car. We no. cannot complain. And that was going to be my next point. When you and I talked, it seems years ago now, but it would have been about this time last year, about how 2021 was going to look. You'd obviously done all the testing, but testing isn't racing. Have you learned more this year even being at the racetracks races are additional mileage in very very relevant conditions because that's where drivers are really pushing to the max that's where as well uh, we have track conditions which we cannot replicate uh, in testing like traffic every lap several times per lap tire marbles something very stupid for example in testing when you test alone, you never damage any bodywork. Your bodywork always like, uh, looks like new at the end of a 30 hours endurance run. In racing, in real racing, with many cars on the track, you have a lot of tire marbles, and these marbles are what damages the bodywork. So some of the reliability uh, items of a car, you discover them only during racing. So definitely, uh, we have been learning a lot during these first four uh, four races. That brings us nicely on to why we've we've got you on the show and why you've kindly uh, come on the show to to explain some things that we noticed and our listeners and viewers noticed at Le Mans in the 24-hour race with your drivers. It looked like at some stage they were on the PlayStation whilst they were were the driving the car at Le Mans. They were pushing buttons with their thumbs all over the place. And that was to mitigate an issue that you guys were having. It would appear, from what I've heard, and I'll let you tell the story, that it was a far bigger issue than I think every anybody on the outside really knew about. And to put it in context, it sort of goes back to Monza in some respects, Pascal. Yeah, definitely. 
uh, we have experienced during eight hours a very difficult fight against a problem which in Monza had been terminal uh, in 20 minutes. Uh, what I mean by terminal, in Monza on car eight, we had to stop the car and make a lengthy change after 20 minutes, 20 minutes after the problem had developed. So, uh, and we faced a similar issue, not exactly the same, because the Monza issue uh, had been mainly solved, but we faced a similar issue for a slightly different root cause in Le Mans, but the outcome was the same. Uh, at seven o'clock uh, on Sunday morning, we've seen that the fuel pressure out of our collector tank was dropping out like it was doing in Monza. And we knew what it meant. We knew that very soon we would have probably to change this collector, which is roughly 45 minutes to one hour wow. okay. in the pits. So this meant that we were losing the race. And that's that moment in time, we decided that we would not uh, take this decision because it would be equivalent to decide to lose the race. So we, we conversely, we decided to keep running as long as we could. And we tried to find solution instead of giving up and say, okay, let's change the collector problem fixed. And we see what we can do after we decided to keep running as long as we could and to find solutions considering that we knew what was happening. We did not know exactly why it was happening, because it should have been sorted from Monza, but we knew what was happening. Then a very nice story has developed. Very nice because in the end it was successful. Uh, <laughs> a brainstorming has started with many, uh, many people who were not directly operational on the cars to analyze the issue and try to find a solution. And then, yeah, I, I will make it short because it has been lasting hours. But we tried to understand why every time we were pitting the car, situation was improving. Mm. And at the, the first countermeasure we had to take every time the pressure was dropping and the engine was misfiring, we had to pit the car and refuel and it was improving. Problem is that it was becoming every three laps. And this yeah. was not manageable during eight hours. We could have survived for maybe half an hour but not eight hours. So we had to find something better. And we realized that during the pit stop, we were shutting down the fuel pump in the collector. Of course. And then the idea was, when we shut down this pump, we create turbulences in the fuel system, which maybe helps to unclog the filter of the, of the pump. Oh, wow. This is one, we have had other ideas which we have implemented, but they did not work. I'm concentrating on the one which did work. So someone, our person in charge of the car performance came with this idea that stopping the pump could create turbulence to unclog the filter. Problem was, when can we do it? In the pits, but we lose a lot of time. Can we do it on the track? And then naturally, the moment when you can shut down a fuel pump is during braking. Yes. So we came down with the situation where we called Sébastien Vemi on radio and we explained him this. So imagine how easy it is during a race to explain to a driver that he will have to shut down a pump during the braking, considering that we don't have a switch to handle this pump, obviously. We, it was possible from the car to shut it down, but it was what we call a driver default. It means something you can do, but 
after a complex manipulation of a system. It was not a switch allocated to that. So we had to explain to Sebastian that he had to call the driver default page on his steering wheel display, that he had to select the driver default, which was 7.3. And then after starting braking, he had to switch the driver default on. And then before reaccelerating off again to, to restart the pump. So wow. it was not straightforward. Nevertheless, he did it first time correctly. And the really good news is that immediately we've seen the fuel pressure coming up again. So it was working. So we were there with our first uh, valid countermeasure to the problem. Problem with this kind of filter clogging issue is that it, it only gets worse. Right. What is, what is okay at a moment in time, one hour later, it's not okay anymore <laughs> because the filter has collected more, more particles. And then uh, what was working initially, uh, one shutting down the pump one time per lap was not working anymore. So progressively, we went from one time per lap to six times per lap. So you imagine a driver who every time he's braking wow. has to call a driver default, switch a pump off and on. All six drivers did it during seven and a half hours. Wow. And they did it without mistake or without major mistake in nothing which stopped the car on the track. This is just amazing. And what is even more amazing is that they did that without losing so much lap time. Yes. We were discussing it again because you imagine it's, a, it's, it's an incredible story within our team. We were discussing it again during our preparation to Bahrain. And they were saying maybe they were losing a couple of times, not more. <laughs> and this is amazing what this kind of top driver can achieve. But it's not the end. It's not the end because this countermeasure, when we were at six braking per lap, that was it. It was not possible to do more. And it was still not enough. Car 8, which was more advanced in the problem than Car 7, roughly running one hour earlier, started to develop, again, terminal problems. Very sad. So we had to come up with other ideas. So the, the brainstorming was still going on in the background. We tried many things. And then our person in charge of system engineering came with the second idea which has been working, which was to use all the lift pump we have in the fuel tank. In the fuel tank, we have redundancy with the lift pump because sometimes they fail. And we normally, in normal running, we don't use all the lift pump at the same time. And we decided to use all lift pump at the same time to put pressure in the collector and go through the filter easier. Problem is that this configuration of the lift pump was not available in the car. It, the hardware was there, but the software was not able to drive that. So, our guy has had to develop a software. He has had to validate it on, on, on a model. We do that in the factory in, in Cologne. We have a way to replicate the car and to debug software. So this has happened during the race. Software development, software validation. What, what, hang on, hang on. At some point, on. we had to implement it. That, that, yeah. So somebody had to write some code, Pascal, in the heat of the battle the of a yeah. race, uh, exactly. check it, debug exactly. it, and then... Make sure it's all working and then, and then upload it and into the car systems. Exactly. And then we, we have wow. downloaded it to the car, which means that during the pit stop, after refueling, we had plugged the umbilical 
to download the, the software update. And we did that obviously first with Carate. And again, immediately this has been working. So we've done it uh, quickly after on, on CAR 7. And then CAR 7 could finish the race with this second countermeasure reasonably. <laughs> CAR 8 was not the end of the story because even with this countermeasure, we did work towards the end of the race, the fuel pressure was dropping again. Then the last countermeasure has been to ask Kazuki to do part throttle in several critical areas where the engine was running out of fuel. So the last laps of Kazuki have been done with parts throttle in several acceleration. And then at that moment in time, we were losing a lot of lap time. But it was really the very last moment in the race. And that's, that's how we could finish. And by, by the way, when car eight has been waiting a bit in the pits to, uh, to waiting for car seven and finish just behind car seven, it was not only to have a nice picture of the, of the check on flag. It was as well to save one lap to car eight. Yes. Doing so, we could save one lap and make sure that car eight was, uh, was at the end. And both cars have been at the end. So it has been extremely intense. means every, nearly every single member of the team has had an incredible co- contribution. We have had two guys finding, finding very good ideas. We have had people developing softwares, validating softwares. We have had the race engineers the race engineering crew watching the car to know when we had to pit it or not according to the level of the problem. Uh, the race the pit stop crew, sometimes we are doing pit stop every three laps. You can imagine yeah. how exhausting it was yeah. for them. And finally, the drivers who've done something completely incredible, completely incredible. So yeah, quite, quite a story inside the story of Le Mans 21, which makes that this race for us is definitely extremely special. Extremely special. I mean, we always say in motor racing and particularly in endurance racing, Pascal, that it is a team sport. The drivers get a lot of the attention and a lot of the credit, and rightly so. But as you said, pretty much everybody on the team has been involved there. And that sounds to me like a proper... You and I know Le Mans from many years ago. That sounds like a proper old-fashioned Le Mans story. Um, You guys looking looking for solutions to keep to keep the car running. Now, in the old days, it might have been a, a fix with a hammer or a change of a part. You guys have done it with software and, and ingenuity. That's proper endurance, Pascal. Yes, but I would not say that it's old-style endurance. It's just about within modern endurance, never giving up and maximizing teamwork. It means here, in motor racing, you always talk about teamwork, never give up, blah, blah, blah. This time, we went beyond these worlds. We have really materialized these motos. Uh, there is nothing old-fashioned here. Uh, it's really modern endurance racing nice. with a strong team not giving up and not accepting, not accepting what was a straightforward decision to pit the car, to change the part, and then let's try to do our best. We refused this, uh, I would say, simple uh, way of managing the race. Because of the way my brain works pascal i've got a couple of questions for you 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 may not be able to answer them or you may not want to answer them and i'll I'll understand that first of all the problem at at monza which you had identified you said when we were talking about that it was uh, similar but not the same so having had that 
issue at Monza. Did that in some ways help or did it hinder yeah. you that you'd had that before? Yeah, the, the source of the pollution of the filter was different. We had fixed the Monza source, but we got another one in the world. And Pascal, do you understand now, we've had a couple of months since the race, what the causation of this problem yes. is? And and yes. do you want to talk about that? It's fine if you don't. No, I cannot go into I, I cannot go into the details, but de- definitely now we have a much better understanding of the full picture of the root causes. After Monza, we stopped after finding some pollution. We fixed the pollution. That was it. There was more ah. behind that. And now we have a, a much better understanding. And hopefully, we have fully solved the issue. Uh, it's a fantastic... But it was a tricky one because, yeah, different, different root causes or slightly different pollution yeah, between, uh, between the two races. I I think that is an extraordinary story that you've told us. A story of ingenuity, a story of not being willing yeah, to give for up. For sure, it has been really an incredible race for uh, for the team. Is that then, Pascal, in some ways, the the most difficult victory at Le Mans for for Toyota Gazoo Racing? Definitely, I think immediately after the race, because during the race, no one was really believing that we would make it. It was not hurting motivation at all to find solutions, but we all had in our minds that at some point next lap, the cars will stop. Oh, really? So it's really, after, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have done eight hours expecting the cars to stop the next lap. But still, it was not hurting the motivation. It was not a reason to say, okay, let's beat. Um, no, no. But just to say that we did not think about winning the race before the very end. But after that, immediately, the immediate, I would say, feeling what we have shared with uh, is that it was by far our best win in Le Mans, even overpassing the very first one in 18. Because the first win in Le Mans has to be special. Of course. But this one was more than special. It's a fabulous story. Uh, and we thank you very much, Pascal, for taking the time out of what I know is a very busy week to speak to us. All the best. Uh, the off-season is not very much Thank off. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and please pass our best on to the rest no. of the team. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Pascal Vasslon speaking to John on Thursday of last week. And on Thursday of this week, that's tomorrow at 8pm, it's time for another episode of the Simcast. And this week, uh, Ben is going to be talking about the Lamborghini ST Evo 2 coming to a set of competizione corsa and Jordan has more thoughts about NASCAR ignition. Well really <laughs> possibly more developed than his initial thoughts last week. Yeah, okay. Uh that's tomorrow night at uh, 8 o'clock. I want to uh, bring Shea and Nick in on that uh, on that last interview from Pascal and thanks to Alistair Moffat and the whole team for setting that up. They were literally setting up for the weekend uh, when I talked to Pascal, uh, but he was very insistent that he wanted to tell the story himself. Uh, I'll do some tweets first of all. Uh, at Jack Martin uh, just said, that's mind-boggling. James O'Connell, absolutely astonishing. The definition, the very definition of agile working. Kevin Payne, as a 40-year software veteran, that is hugely impressive that a software update could be installed during a pit step, putting aside pit stop, putting aside the quality checks. I wonder if they'd rehearsed that. It was written... D 
debugged and then installed, Kevin. Extraordinary. Uh, Dave Alcock says, thank you, Mr. Vassalon, for this interview. His candor and technical insight are a joy to listen to. As an IT nerd, I doff my cap in the utmost respect to the expertise of the engineers at the track and at Cologne for developing that software under intense pressure and delivering it in time. Brilliant. Uh, this is freaking nuts, says Jesse. To adapt and overcome, write the code, fix the gripe in the middle of the night, uh, in the middle of a fight, in the middle of a race. The last time a team trying to resurrect a car was the Delta Wing and the driver fixing his car with a spanner and a, han- uh, a hammer. Never give up attitude. Uh, can't disagree with any of that. Nick Damon and Cher Adam, you were both on the broadcast. Nick, we were we were speculating what the DD was when we saw the drivers yeah. bringing it up. It started in the middle of the night. I think it started slightly earlier than Pascal w- was saying there. He was seeing the last eight hours of the race. I seem to remember it was even a bit earlier than that, certainly on the number eight car. But to have got to where they were and to have the trust in the drivers and for the drivers to be able to pull that off that's extraordinary isn't it yeah it's very very it's very impressive i think right let's let's put it into two sides it's very very impressive they got the cars at the end but the reason they won is because that old chestnut there was no real competition mm. you know five years ago um porsche and audi would have been six laps ahead of them um so but they didn't lose time well they did they lost the time but, on the pit stops yeah, they were stopping very, very regularly. The lap times, but yeah, this is this is the point. It's 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 interesting. I, I'm really impressed what they did. I'm really, really impressed that they managed to to work their around. The problem is they didn't stop. The thing didn't break down. The drivers did what they needed to do, but it kind of makes you wish there was more competition out there, doesn't it? I, to have the, pushed them. The thing that that really hit me about that was every lap they were expecting it to stop because they didn't know whether they could keep the fuel pressure up and they could keep it going with the misfire um, and the drivers having to do everything. And they only had to miss one thing. And maybe if it hadn't restarted, it it, it wouldn't restart. And, and Shea, as, as we mentioned in, in the preview to Le Mans, and Pascal happily told us, they'd done the arithmetic, 45 minutes. They couldn't afford 45 minutes to fix the collector. That, that was the race lost anyway. So they made the decision... Perhaps it was a decision made out of necessity that they had to find a solution to it. And if that hadn't worked, they would have lost the race. They could have lost both cars. Could have been Peugeot all over again. <laughs> Very much could have. And and I think we knew at the time that there was something going on with how frequently the car was coming into the pit lane. But we definitely have some good poker faces down in the Toyota garage because if that had been me living with that kind of stress level for at least 12 hours of the race... No, there wouldn't have been any hair left. <laughs> no, absolutely right. I'm I'm very impressed that all the drivers um, uh, managed to to get it through, and and brilliant that they want to talk about that and that they prepare. All right, not absolutely everything. It wasn't exactly the same as Monza, uh, but they have found out what the problem with the fuel tank and the um, contamination was. The word that that. Uh, Pascal used I'm I'm led to believe and this is not from Toyota that it was fuel contamination at Monza but it wasn't the same 
type of contamination, potentially something from within the tank that was causing them uh, problems. That That's not official uh, at all, by the way. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. That was Pascal Vassalon um, from Toyota Gazoo Racing. We will have uh, live coverage of qualifying on Friday and the whole eight hours of the race on Saturday. It's John and Johnny again uh, for qualifying on Friday. Bruce Jones returns to the fold with Johnny Palmer for the eight hours on Saturday with a guest appearance from Paul Trusswell from the, ah, now we need a new name, don't we? From the White, from the Isle of Wight data centre. Um, it is using the complete computing power of the whole of the Isle of Wight, apparently. Uh, and Trusses will be joining the boys <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> Stop giggling. Uh, where would you like to go to next, Tim? Uh, oh, so many tempting answers to that. Do you know where I went on, on Sunday night? She does. The London Palladium. I do. Bruce Forsyth. I'm very proud of you too, Tim. He went to Harry Potter land. No, we didn't. We went to a Close. pub quiz. And mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us, since the last time we did this pub quiz, the format has changed and there is now a whole round on Harry Potter. What, every week? Well, I don't know. We've only done it once since uh, lockdown ended. But uh, question one, Shay, what is the yep. truth potion called? Veritas Truthio. Correct. Uh, what's the name of the shop where Harry buys his wand? Ollivanders. Yes. Uh, what's the surname of Bellatrix? Lestrange. Lestrange, yep. yeah. Uh, what did mad Moody teach? Uh, Defence against dark arts. Uh, how would you summon your Patronus? Uh, expecto Patronum and think of a happy thought. What... Uh, is the name of the chart which shows the locations of people around Hogwarts and Hogsmeade? Uh, Marauder's Map. Yep. Which is the longest of the books? Uh, the Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix, correct. Not, uh, not the last one. Not Deathly Hallows. Uh, no, it was just the longest of the films because it was in two parts. Yes. Yeah. I think Order of the Phoenix was 792 pages in the American version. I haven't how, read it in a while. How uh, did... Uh, oh, oh, sorry, what was used to treat uh, the wound from the basilisk that Harry got in the Chamber of Secrets? Uh, Fox's tears, so Phoenix tears. Yes. There we go. So she would have got the ball right. Nick, would you have got all those? Yeah, I got, all right. I got my answers right, yeah. Yeah. Just not what was written on the piece of paper. Yeah, but that's 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 because I'm actually a real human being and haven't haven't wasted my life watching a story about a made up wizard. Badly written hey, story. I, I just I just watch cars go around in circles, which causes nothing like wasting your life. No, true, 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 true enough. Um, where would you, where would you like to go to now, Tim? Uh, I well, like that. In 30 minutes' time, John, it's the uh, March edition. No, it's not. It's the November edition of the Historic <laughs> Racing News Radio Show. Have you, got, you got the, have, you got, have you got the wrong clock movement forward and back? No, He's, I yeah, had... It, instead of going back, instead of just going back an hour, he went back to the last time the clock's changed. That's excellent. It's because uh, tonight they are discussing the worst single-seater racing cars of all time. So March obviously popped into my head. Uh, <laughs> Wolf. Wolf could be in there. Yeah. Yes, very good. 
Um, I mean, my personal nomination, I'm not going to say this because there might be a part two of this uh, with me nominating some cars next month, but uh, tonight it's uh, single-seater experts uh, Peter Snowden and Jim Bowler joining Paul Tarsi to discuss the worst single-seater racing cars of all time. Uh, They'll also be joined by former oil rig worker Perry McCarthy. I don't think there's anything to add to that, then, is there? That'll be Andrea Morda, then, isn't it? So yeah, he's going to say, it kind of defines which is going to win, going to win the worst car, doesn't it? So uh, he'll be talking about his entire career. He worked on oil rigs to pay for Formula Ford. Uh, right, let's move on. Yes. I mean, I can talk about Formula Ford if you want, but... Uh, yes, quickly, let's... We haven't got the guys from Team USA, but if... The weather's all right on Sunday. I'll whip over to the Walter Hayes and have a quick word with them and record that for next week. The Formula Ford Festival, the 50th anniversary Formula Ford Festival, uh, took place at the weekend and they finished second and third. Yes, I think that is possibly the best finish that Team USA has ever had, uh, Tim. I think you're right. And they didn't cross the line second and third because uh, there was a driver who crossed the line second who was uh, subsequently disqualified uh, for a breach of article Q14.24 was Dick Dastardly um, which uh, I later looked up and found that uh, basically he'd ignored some yellow flags and I know exactly where he did it it was on the approach to Druids coming up uh, Hellwood Hill Mm. so uh, congratulations to Max Esterson who eventually was classified second and to Andre Castro uh, who finished third and to Jamie Sharp. Did, get, did they both get did they both get to stand on the podium? So that was done quick enough to them no, for both to get on the podium. No. Ah. Uh but uh the third place trophy uh Max handed over to Andre on right. Tuesday uh, right. which they filmed and put on Instagram. And this weekend at Silverstone, I think they're going to get the second place trophy uh, for Max. To Max. Excellent. Um, And it's the Walter Hayes this weekend, of course. Jamie Sharp uh, was the winner. His first win. Um, I'll tell you about some of the uh, other drivers uh, of note. Uh, Joey Foster, two-time winner, finished seventh, having started on pole and led for a long time. Dennis Lind, British GT champion this year, finished ninth. Uh, and he started to go fund me to race this weekend as well as Dennis. Jan Magnussen, um, yep. name seems familiar, can't think where. He finished 11th. Didn't he used to ask questions on some quiz show? Of course he did, yes. Yeah. Um, did Well, he started, but did he finish? He did, as I say, he finished 11th. Excellent. Uh, started 14th. Uh, and uh, Niall Murray uh, was the DNF. Where did Hughesy get to? Oh, he was knocked out in the heats, along with Roberto Moreno, yes. Tell you who uh, didn't even take part, but was there watching. Yep. Eddie Irvine. Yes, I know, I saw that. I saw pictures of him. Talking to Roberto Moreno, funny enough. Had more sense than to get back in a car. Yes. Obviously. All right, let's move on. Uh, we've got some bike news. We've got some more K- visit Cayman Islands uh, sports car news. Where would you like to go? 
can we talk about Weck at Bahrain at the weekend? Very quickly. So this fits into Cayman, visit Cayman Islands Sports Car News. Yeah. Uh, the changing of the BOP to favour Porsche, which led to Porsche winning. Yes. By quite a long way. Well, Ferrari, uh, you knew when James Collado said coming into the race, we might as well turn up with three wheels, that they weren't actually going to try very hard because they want to have the BOP uh, changed back for this weekend and the cha- championship decided, don't they? Mm. Remember, in WEC, it's not going out with the stewards and you know buying them a nice bottle of Chablis or anything like that that gets you BOP. It's done by an algorithm. It's automatic BOP in GTE Pro. Someone so, was suggesting to me that the algorithm might be uh, influenced by how much each manufacturer is spending in entry fees in future years. I don't think I don't think that's part. Of it, and besides which, if it was, Ferrari are in first, so that's not really helping. And the the logic of that doesn't happen. It doesn't work, does it? I think the uh, algorithm is is you know a dancer, to be honest, and it pops around from between one car to another. Um, It's also one of one of those things. Why was the uh, amount of uh, or the magnitude of the BOP change outside of the uh, maximum amount allowed by the regulations. Because the algorithm said so. I don't know. It's the anyway, answer to we'll the see what happens this weekend. Qualifying Friday, race on Saturday. Uh, Johnny Palmer and me on Friday, Bruce and Johnny on Saturday. Thanks to Johnny Morlam for last week. Thoroughly enjoyed having him as part of the yes, team. He did as well. Really, he wants to do more. Yeah. With him. Yes. Well. And now that he's well, retired, he doesn't have time. Well, he could have been doing this this weekend with Bruce and uh, and Johnny and Trussers, but uh, he's he's otherwise engaged. So, so. Hmm. So there we are. We give him one gig and then, you know, he runs off and does something else. Um, we'll that's this weekend. No, we'll have him back next year, absolutely. We'll have him back any time he wants to come back. The fact, following I think we're going to have him back from Petit Le Mans. Yeah. Uh, you said uh, Petit Le Mans, and that is the following weekend. And we have some entry lists, Shay. Mortal Petit Hooray! Le Mans, everything firmed up now, Shay? Uh, Yeah, we've got five series running next weekend at uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, and we have five entry lists. Would you like to go through all of them or just the main one? Uh, Let's quickly run through anything that we haven't talked about in in WeatherTech to start with. Uh, We have 43 cars, seven in the DPI class, five in LMP2, 10 LMP3 cars, which is quite jaw-dropping. That's Uh, interesting. Yeah, 47 Motorsports is back with their Duquesne. That was unexpected. Um, And as far as other announcements go in that class, I think we've hit on everything else. Uh, We do have drivers for the Fast MD Racing Duquesne now, though. Max Hanratty and Todd Archer are joining James Vance. So that was the big unknown in that class. Six cars provisionally for GTLM, although there is a question mark over whether the second WeatherTech Racing Porsche will be running. Uh, There was a bit of question as to whether that chassis will be ready to race or if they'll keep it as a backup. Um, But if it does run, it will have three factory drivers. And I know uh, two of the factory drivers already have their plane tickets to go to Atlanta next week. So they're really hoping that that comes together. And 15 cars for GTD, two that I was not expecting or two that I was expecting to be on the entry list. 
they are not on the entry list. Um, but Allegra Motorsports is back with their Mercedes. They've got Danny Yunkadella as their third driver in place of Billy Johnson. That was a surprise. Uh, NTE Sport back once again. Don Yunt and Jaden Conright are their two announced drivers thus far. And the big thing for me was there is no Sun Energy One Racing Mercedes. Mauro Engel will be joining Windward Racing for Russell Ward and Phil Ellis. I had talked to him previously. But uh, the Gradient Run program will not be completing the Michelin Endurance Cup this year. Ah, okay. Uh, Mission Pilot Challenge? 40 cars, four zero cars, 22 of them are in the GT4 category. We've got a new Toyota Supra for Bush performance, looking to bring in potentially two cars for next year. Luke Rumberg and Tom Long yeah. going to run in this race. That's going to be a strong one. Goldcrest is bringing a Porsche to GS with a couple of local drivers. Nice. We've got two cars for CB Motorsport. They're going to run the Mercedes that they've been running for Trenton Estep and Mark Bame alongside of the Hyundai TCR car that they've been running. Um, and the other big car in here, NTE Sport, is running an Audi R8 GT4 as well as their GT3 car in the big show. So it's going to be a busy grid. Oh, and uh, Core are back, K-O-H-R, not C-O-R-E. Uh, Kyle uh, Marcelli and Dean Martin. Yep, they're back with the Ford Mustang. Excellent, excellent stuff. That's the two main series. The uh, two uh, of the development series that I want to quickly talk about is we've got the championship finales. Uh, for Visit Cayman Islands, uh, Porsche, Carrera Cup North America, and uh, three races at the weekend? Yes, three races for the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. 32 cars entered. We've got 13 in the Pro Class, 10 in the Pro-Am, wow. and then a whopping nine in the 991 category. Last time so we see those cars in the championship, of course, the 991s. Exactly. And I think that's why we've gotten a couple new people coming out for that one. We always get a couple of wild cards uh, in in that because there's a couple of local drivers who've got cars that are that are uh, eligible for yeah. that. So I'm looking forward uh, to that after a cracking weekend in the Carrera Cup Asia uh, this weekend just passed, uh, where I was so excited only. Um, Bats and dolphins could hear me at one stage. My voice was not, already not in a good state. Um, uh, Eating me two Mazda MX-5s. This one I'm really excited about, and it's not just because I love this series with my whole heart. Uh, 23 cars, but there were three new pages that I had to come up with when doing homework on this earlier. Three new drivers. We've got Alex Berg, who's a youngster from Calgary, Alberta. His dad actually raced in F1. He's a go-karter up and coming, running with Hickson Motorsports. And Hickson has actually picked up another young driver in the form of Connor Zilich, the winner of the shootout a couple of weeks ago. So they're going to have two new cars JTR is going to have a new enter as well. That's Jared Thomas Racing, not Joe Tandy Racing, by the way. Uh, Anthony McIntosh out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we've got three newcomers to the season for the season finale. Uh, that is at next week. We'll have more news as we're getting closer to it on next week's show. Uh, just had a quick check, by the way. And the Ferrari 488 GT Evo has been given a power increase uh, before the weekend, ran about 12, 13 horsepower and an extra two litre increase in fuel capacity as well. Uh, the Ferrari representatives were asking to restore the original BOP that it had in the six hours of Monza um, after the, the weekend uh, that has just gone by that 
uh, Tim was talking about. Uh, and next, Tim. Well, one uh, of the IMS championships that isn't going to be racing at the uh, at Petit Le Mans is the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America because that championship is now over. Yes, that finished this weekend at Misano, and uh, all of the drivers who went in leading the championship wound up wrapping it up uh, officially over in Italy, although there was some good competition. I watched both of the races uh, that took place on, I think it was Friday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, Richard Antonucci is our North American pro champion. He again. comes in ahead of Stephen McAleer. Yes, again, uh, second time, I think he got it in 19, wasn't it, Tim, with uh, Corey Lewis? Or uh, that was his third, he definitely got third a, win. Yeah, so yeah. third North American so. Championship. Uh, Stephen McAleer hung on to second ahead of Jacob Edson and Stephen Agacani. In Pro-Am, it was all the way of Brandon Godovic and Brian Ortiz. Congrats again to Brandon. I think this is his second championship in the Super Trofeo as well. Luke Berkeley, who burst onto the scene this year in the AM Championship, held off Ashton Harrison and declared his intent to move up to the pro category last year, so he's aiming high. And in LB Cup, it was Mark Kwame and Terry Olsen who came home with that points haul after Matt Dickin did not race in Misano at all. And uh, it was the president, John Doonan, was out in Misano and watching that and maybe... Nick Damon talking to someone who lives nearby who might just have a bit of time on his hands next year. Just see. Nick? You've lost me on that one, sorry. Well, he has a corner nailed after him at Silverstone. Before oh. you come on to start finish straight. Mr. Cops. Oh, That's right. Brooks, Brooks, ah. uh, Woodcoats, yes. Hmm. Uh, what's before the start finish straight? Club. Valley. Oh, Vale. Valley. Vale. Valley. Yes, I know, Valley. Yeah. You, you, you went way off there. I got very confused by that. Okay. Was, Stephen McAuley had God, a fuel pump problem. Very cryptic. Yeah, is, and they got uh, it fixed issue. in time for the second race. This is a very silly question because I. So it's, in, it's the North American Championship, yeah? Yeah. yeah. The final was in Misano, which, to my geography, is not in North America. It's part of the world yeah. finals. No, I realise that. All of did the they, regional did, did championships have no, their I final have a que- rounds. No, that, that's fine. That's fine. My Misano. question is, do they do they fly the cars over, or do they use cars they've got from their pool they've, in Italy? They fly the cars over, Nick. Hmm. Well, I wanted to know. Just wondered. Yep. It's, it is a bit odd, in fairness, because. They haven't moved the world final in between their regional championships for a long time. It's been in Italy the last... Well, it's been in Europe, certainly, and I think it's, it's been, been Italy been at the, the last three years. It's been at the circuit nearest to uh, Santa... What's it? Bolognese. Legata. Santa yeah, Legata. Of, of the home of uh, Lamborghini. Lamborghini. Um, Kevin Giladoni and Leonardo Pulcini were the European uh, champions. It hasn't always been at the same circuit, though, because it was at Valencia um, a couple or three years ago. Um, it's It's been in Europe. I can't remember, Shea, that we've ever had the world final in the US, have we? Uh, Sebring a couple of years ago? A while ago? Longer than that. A long that. time ago? Yes, that's right. You are right. Okay, I'll take that back. 
but it doesn't really move around that much considering that the, the big series is in the States and the European Championship. Um, yeah. And of course the big um, the big uh, Asian uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo Asia uh, didn't run this year uh, again because of coronavirus. Yeah, I, yeah I, I find that odd because Porsche managed to run a, a full season. Um, albeit only all in China. in China, yeah, but that was that's the choice, isn't it? You 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 run it. At least you got. But some only running. with Chinese drivers as well. Whereas no, not true. Andre Kuto and Max Visa yeah. were in it, and they had some Hong Kong drivers the as well and some Thai drivers. Kuto. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, let's move on. Last coming up to the last uh, twelve minutes of the program. Shall I tell everybody what's on on the grid tomorrow? You can do. Well, now, uh, it's been a bit of a funny week for Richard and the guys. Um, They had some scheduling issues around public holidays. However, at nine o'clock tomorrow, they will be talking to Will Brown, fresh from his debut supercar podium last weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. They've had a long chat with Hunter McElray on his Indy lights test and his progression through the roads to Indy and, more importantly, how it's being paid for. The Sydney Motorsport Park review and, of course, a preview of... um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, City Motorsport Park at the weekend. Shea will have watched those races. Did you watch the three races at the weekend, Shea? No, I did not. Okay, I won't ask. That was bad. Okay. I I thought, and I've just been swapping some text with Krilzy, actually, I thought the tyre offset didn't actually provide the performance differential that they were looking for um, under the lights. It looked great under the lights, but and, of course, SVG doesn't care what tyres it's got on. He just magically floats above the ground and doesn't doesn't wear them out um so the, this weekend they're going for full hard and full soft which is a bigger offset uh, but it's still it looks like that uh, good racing is uh, relying on the tire strategy um as they try to finish their season before they go to uh, go to Bathurst of course tim bikes Things, two wheels, handlebars, pedals, sometimes has a chain, sometimes have an engine, sometimes engine. have a drive. I've, I've just been looking at aerial photos of Fishbourne Isle of Wight, which is where uh, Paul Trosswell set up his temporary uh, data centre. looks like a very affluent area. All the houses have got swimming pools and gardens. Can, uh, can... Sure, I, I, hang on, are you sure it wasn't just a very heavy rain the night before? <laughs> <laughs> are you looking at it in real? Are you looking at it? I know you have access to all kinds of things. So is that real time satellite? And is everything dimming? I don't have the, is... don't have the military satellites. No. All right. I, I, I presume all the lights dim slightly as as Paul fires up the data center, and nobody else can watch Netflix on the whole island when he's plugged I mean, in. Nobody can watch Netflix on the island anyway. Okay, fine. <laughs> they haven't got that technology. They, they don't. Yet. They don't understand that. Then internet over there in the Isle of Wight. What's I, going on with that? I, it's like magic. The Isle of Wight's somewhere near Somerset now, is it? Nick? Well, you know, it's it's the, uh, <laughs> it's the standard yokel accent. It's quite good. They're uh, fellow English people, so I can say it without fear or favour of being <laughs> some sort of racist outpost. Well, I don't know. I, st- I think it's st- anyway. Bikes. bikes. Uh, where are where uh, are we this weekend? We're going to Portimao, and uh, right. Marquez isn't. And who's going to replace him? Uh, oh, Stefan Bradl. 
Really? Why not? Why is he not good, Nick? He's banged his head. Um, oh. Off-road. He was doing some off-road racing, off-road riding practice. Apparently, and he fell off and he banged his head and uh, not. Sorry, sorry. Stop. You're feeling ill. Stop. He was doing some off-road riding practice for what? He rides. So he, in part what? of no, a lot of a lot of motorcycle ride, races do motocross type bike riding. It's regular physical conditioning and everything else. And right. They do that rather than going to the gym, I think. And he did it, but he fell off. He banged his head, and three days later, Tim, or four days later, he was still feeling the effects. They decided wow. to pull him to the event, which is good. Good. I mean, mm. a, it doesn't matter because he's not in the championship. B, it's good they're being sent about concussion. So well done. Right. The question Stephen is, if Rodden. the team hadn't pulled him, would the uh, MotoGP doctors have said he wasn't allowed to race? Don't. He wouldn't have pulled him. So my guess is the MotoGP doctors being incredibly lax. Um, who knows? I mean, in fairness, they haven't really been tested since the original Marquez thing a year and a half ago, so it'll be interesting to see the next time they get a difficult one. Well, get, get, we had the spam thing um, a few weeks ago where we were able to put, a, finally, after 16 series, we were able to put a Monty Python um, sketch in context. Mark Marquez is literally the knight that says, it's only a flesh wound. Only a flesh wound, yeah. Your arm's off. No, it's not. No. It's on the floor. No. <laughs> I can, I can, I can write. I can hold the handlebars with my teeth. That that would be Mark Marquez. That would. Yeah, I mean, I've I've rigged up a piece of string, and I'm I'm going to steer with my ears. It's mm. honestly, it's not a problem. No, I know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think it's it, it's unfortunately he's, fall, he's still falling off things. And my guess is you fall off and banged your head. Obviously, motocross riders, the kit doesn't include airbags, but he wouldn't be going as fast. But you kind of think there's probably other things that have been hurt. Because especially I'm certainly been wearing a helmet, so it's probably quite a big off. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's it's he you know he is. Let's be honest about it. He's fantastic, but he's also fantastically accident prone. There's a uh, common like theme, common theme uh, through a, nearly all of the press releases we've had about uh, MotoGP and Portimao. Um, Johan Mears says uh, uh, we think we can get a podium finish. Um, yeah, is it is it also it's in Portugal and it's a bit uppy downy? Uh, yes. No, fantastic uh, rolling rolling. Vinales, I'm like feeling really positive about this weekend. Vinaya, uh, right. really confident of my chances in uh, Portimao. Uh, Miller, right. I think we can get a good result here. Um, in fairness, if they're, if they're turning up going, it's going to be an utter disaster. What's the blooming point? You kind of think you're possibly beaten before you get there, but there's nothing on the line now, is there? So, well, let yeah, me uh, tell you about Paul Espargaro. What's he <laughs> said? Pointless turning up. It's like it's like I'm on a Ferrari, but only with one wheel. Is that what he said? I think this is going to be a really difficult weekend for us. <laughs> well, it is now. He's lost Mark Marcus. Uh, I hope Mark is recovering well and can be uh, back with me soon. Um, it's never easy to jump on a bike, but we've had a lot of good bike time this year between races and testing. Mm. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. Conditions will be difficult compared to the last time we were here, so you have to understand what adjustments we need. And motivation's high, and I want to wish Mark a speedy Sounds coverage. <laughs> Recovery. Sound like it's massively motivated. I'm really motivated for it. My motivation yeah. is really high. Ooh, Can't wait for Mark to come back. 
Hang on, is that your, is, that's fantastic. That's got his accent. You got you got Paul Dressed out of a tea. Stop it. That was no. um, Neil from the Young Ones, wasn't it? Uh, no, it's talking about Marvin. It, moving on. Uh, World Superbikes. Yes, not happening. It's two weeks ago, isn't it? Still three weeks from Indonesia. Yes. Is it, is it finished yet? Is it built? No. Oh, well, the track is. Yes. Tra- there's, yes. there's other tracks you could talk. About, you could mention that about. Uh, I want to talk about Earth. But we won't. They could always race around Newcastle City Centre instead because they've bought that as well, haven't they? Uh, Ertels, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Let's talk about Ertel. Well, Harold Ertel of the moustache. <laughs> no. The mustachioed Harold Ertel. Philip Ertel. All right. Who is going to be Philippe. in World Superbikes next season with the Go 11 Ducati team replacing Chaz Davis, who retired. Is it Ducati? Definitely Ducati. I know Ducati at the moment. Are they staying Ducati? Because that's the big question. Well, because this was the team that um, that um, uh, Taz McKenzie is supposed to be going to, isn't mm. it? But that would depend on it not being a Ducati, being a the, Yamaha The team. press release very much says, I can't wait to start this experience on the big bikes, learn as much as possible to start the next season in t- to improve round by round. I'm happy to ride a Ducati. It's a great manufacturer uh, and I really want well, this opportunity go. in Superbike, especially considering the successful past Ducati have had. So that Fair suggests enough. to Sounds me like that t- uh, we have confirmation that they're going to be racing Ducatis. would say so. Yeah. Perhaps okay. um, so McKenzie's not going to be there then. Yeah. Who so else where is going to be, uh, Who else is going to be racing uh, on Ducatis next year? Um, An entire championship. Got, uh, Alvaro Bautista. Oh, yes, the electric uh, Moto E Moto is going e. to Cassie, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, we didn't, yes, we didn't flip, fit this in last week. This came out last week. And, and did, even yes. though Ducati have no electric... Ducati have no electric bikes in their range. Um, they're going to be running the uh, Moto E Championship, but, which m- might, which in fairness, might mean it might get some sort of presence and publicity because currently it's tucked away in the dimmest recess corner of, uh, of Motorsport Avenue. And, and it doesn't on bikes always made by somebody who exactly, nobody's ever heard of. Yes. Spark. But the, the the key thing about this is twofold. Um, it's not a single manufacturer series. It's been opened up, so anybody can enter an electric bike. It was it it has been a single manufacturer series, but now, and the moment it was opened up, Ducati said, "Yeah, go on them. We'll have a basin full of that." Obviously, they said it in a slightly more Italian way than I would have, with a lot of A and uh, Bella Machina. Hang on a second. Surely they're going to have to go to the uh, German parent company for any sort of um, hybridization expertise. Electric expertise. So, do you not think this might be a decision made by Audi? Well, there was. Do you know what? That's interesting. When Audi bought Ducati as to put them into the Audi Technology Group, which also at the time hilariously included Cosworth and Marla Pistons, and it was the Marla Pistons that failed on the Peugeots at Le Mans that year that we've been talking about. Um, they bought it for the Desmodronic Valve technology because they wanted to share the technology and. Ducati sort of said, no thanks, we'll keep that to ourselves. So Audi did the next best thing rather than asking nicely. They just bought the company. And if you notice, Audi Sport are still on the works Ducati um, uniforms. And they share things like wind tunnel and stuff like that. And when it first happened, there was an awful lot of crossover with Ducati motorcycles being displayed in Audi centres around the UK. And there was word that 
potentially there was going to be an Audi motorbike. There was going to be a range of Audi motorbikes. Now, they thought against that at the time and decided not to do it because it was such a stretch. Um, But it was considered. So you're absolutely right, Nick. The opportunity for them to share technology and use the knowledge that Audi have, have built up in... Formula E and in LMP H, um, LMP One H racing, uh, and battery uh, and battery technology. Of course, both Audi and Porsche own battery companies, individual battery companies. So it's there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes more sense. It currently makes no sense apart from their desire to be sporting, to to be in motor because they haven't got an electric offering, but. They're going to go in there, I would think. They will have an electric offering soon. The BMW very, have just very, produced their first all-electric bike. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It will happen. It will happen. Ducati's on a slightly different, um, occupies a slightly different place in the market than BMW, as you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and, and, you know, there, there are, the, there was a kind of point, I can't believe really, you we talked about about it, a year and a half ago. Yeah. When all the talk was about Audi and VAG divesting themselves of things, they were going to get rid of Audi, they were going to, get rid of Cathy, they were going to get rid of Lamborghini, and then there was a complete sea change about a year ago. They went, nope, we're keeping it all, and we're going to invest in it. So I, I, this would make a lot of sense if they are starting to think again about whether they can leverage that that motorcycle link across okay. the two brands. Uh, One more finally, story from Nick, Tim. Uh, complete the sequence: Samueli Cavalieri, Luke Mossi, mm-hmm. Jason Aribe. Mm-hmm. Marco Salazzo, Andrea Montavani, mm-hmm. Leclerc Nepis. Is it uh, Burt Bacharach? It's very close, yes. It's uh, <laughs> Oliver Koenig, uh, who is, is the latest... Uh, what have uh, they won? Latest German teenager, latest teenager mm. to uh, get a ride for the Pedicini team uh, okay. in World Superbikes. Um He'll be, so we uh, finished where we started with youth, alongside Loris Cresson. Uh, yeah. Yes, he is quite young, not as young as. Uh, and we didn't start with youth. We started with uh, the very I old know, uh, and retired. We retired. We got young. Suzuki we got Nakajima. old. We got young again. We, All we, life's a circle. Don't even start singing it. Uh, very quickly, I've looked it up. Lamborghini. Is considering a turn to staging its world final overseas. Uh, 2022 will be at Portimao, so there will be some chance of of passing, which is certainly positive. Uh, you do or you can cross the sea to get to. Well, um, the last time it was outside of Europe, it's been in five years now. Um, it was at Sebring, but that was 2015. Now, Shea, can you believe it? 2015. Wow. Uh, the last time. Oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I, I, I knew it was a while back, but I, I, that's amazing. George uh, Osana, who's the head of motorsport, said the location could move beyond Europe uh, in 2023. They're also hoping to revive its Asian single make Super Trofeo series, which has been on hold through the uh, pandemic. Of course, uh, North America or Asia Pacific. And unsurprisingly, Chris Ward, who's the senior motorsport manager for Lamborghini in North America, said uh, we've got a lot of interest to come back in to have it at the in the US in the medium 
term. A lot of American customers have asked for it and the European customers are asking for it as well. Those who are with us in Sebring 2015 thoroughly enjoyed the experience. That's it for this evening. Simcast and on the grid tomorrow night. But stay tuned tonight for this month's substantive version of HRN, Historic Racing News. The worst racing car, single-seater, of all time. Uh, will be being discussed. And don't forget, we've got live motorsport at the weekend in the real world with Full Metal WEC Racing and the grand finale of the eight hours of uh, Bahrain at the Sakia International Circuit. Johnny and me on Friday for qualifying. Saturday, it's Johnny, Bruce and Trusses. And Nick and I will be doing the Suzuka Endurance Race for the VCO Championship. Will. Uh, yeah, final round of Grand Slam. Grand Slam for the for the guys in eSports. Join us for that or just have yourself a great weekend. But make sure you come back next Wednesday as we build up to Motul Petit Le Mans. Thanks to everybody who's been involved tonight. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you've joined us late, download the archive. But there's no time to explain. The Lama is back on full beans and back to full metal. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.